Hey there, friends. Welcome to episode 12. We are squeezing in one more episode before the new year, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Margie Bryce, catch up with her. We've known each other for a while. She's been a lead pastor, a church revitalist specialist, a restart pastor, and she's currently adjunct professor at Ashland Theological Seminary. She had some great insight as she looked back over her journey and some advice. She leaves us in the episode with some advice for those of you who are just starting out on the journey. So enjoy the episode and I will catch you in the new year. really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we just start telling the stories and flood the airwaves with something different? We've known each other for a long time. I know. I know. I Um, think I just had my district license. Did you? How many years ago then was that? Oh, I think I got my district license in 03. Wow. And then I taught spiritual formation and I had you in yeah. class. And I, I know I said this off air, but I remember you saying one day you're going to be your own pastor. And I'm like, no, yeah. and here I am. I'm my own <laughs> pastor. Oh, that's crazy. All right. So I just, I let, here's what I like to do to start with. Just talk about what your faith background was kind of growing up. And then when Jesus became real to you. So your salvation story. Okay. Um, I was raised Catholic, and as we know, the opportunities for women in ministry are none, N-U-N. Yeah. <laughs> that was not really appealing, but I, I was pretty serious about my faith, but when I was like 12, um, we moved as a family, and the parish that we were then attached to was very, very different. And I just, in my 12-year-old wisdom, if you want to call it that, just kind of thought, well, I'm just ditching this whole thing. You know, I had a sense it should mean more, and somehow it didn't. And the move to the new parish disrupted things for me, and I was just a a crabby sort, so I just (laughs) got like that. My family stopped going to church anyway. So uh, then from there, I kind of piloted my life into a a real mess. I mean, a real mess. And I had um, a gal down the street put a letter in my mailbox and she wanted to buy my rabbit hutches that were out back. We had just bought a new home out in the country and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Come on down. So she did. And that started a friendship and, um, she didn't know what a mess my life was in. Yeah. She did not have any idea. And you were already married to Craig at this point. No, no. Okay. No, it was a first marriage. She came down and she bought the rabbit hutches. We started a friendship. And she just poured love into me. There was a point where I had a broken arm related to a horse accident while I had a six-week-old baby and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, you know, that inside of a nightmare-ish marriage situation. And it was bad. And she just called me on the phone one day and said, I'm going to come and wash your hair. And I, I was so close to telling her no because I felt so unworthy as a person of that kind of somebody making an effort like that on my behalf and she showed up with shampoo and everything and I mean this is a lot of years later like 30 
years later, and I'm still talking about how this gal washed my hair. Well, um, our relationship continued one day on the phone. She she was talking to me, and I just blurted out what a mess everything was. And she, I'll never forget, she told me, you need Jesus. And I thought, oh, yeah, right. What is Jesus going to do about this? And then at Easter Sunday, she never invited me to church. She just poured love onto me. And she did stop on the way to church Easter, um, and she dropped off a Bible. And oh. I started reading the Bible at my kitchen table, and Jesus became real to me during a period of about a month of just reading and crying and reading and crying uh, over Scripture as the reality of God's love was not only manifest in my friend, but then in the pages of Scripture. So um, then I joined a Bible study at a church and went there for more than a year before I actually went to a church service. So I chronically do everything backwards. I'm, at least I'm <laughs> consistent. So, <laughs> Where did you start? Did you start in the New Testament? I did. I did. I started in the New Testament. I was kind of fascinated with end time stuff a lot oh, then. Yeah. And God used that to draw me in. And it was the scripture verse of greater love has no one than this, than one who will lay down his life for his friends where all of a sudden all the teaching I knew as a kid, as a Catholic and, and everything, it kind of made sense. That was the why. That was the why. And so, um, and it went on from there. You have to, you have to give it to our Catholic friends, right? I know. Well, my do. family's Catholic too, so you know, you, you, you do, know, you, you do. Know that, but, <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, there's nothing that they will hound into you more than the gospels. They and do. so at least if you know nothing else, you know, the Jesus stories, right? So, you can always come back to those. Yep. So when you started going to church, was it wasn't a Catholic church, right? Where were you? No. Going? <laughs> <laughs> no. It was just like an independent Bible yeah, church. Yeah, like a non-denomination. Yeah, right? kind of thing. And then uh, not long after that, some friends invited us to this uh, United Methodist Church that um, had a spirit-filled pastor that and they were singing praise and worship music then and that was wow. in the 80s mid 80s yeah and i had never encountered that kind of thing before and i could barely sing the songs without just crying i mean it was pretty it was pretty powerful stuff and it was a very powerful pastor as well and he was famous for saying you know be all you can be and this is like before the army was saying it <laughs> you know be all you can be in christ and, and that you should find what you need to be doing uh, for Jesus. What has God created you to do and to be? And I ended up serving in parachurch ministry first. Um, oh. I was, I ended up on the board at a pregnancy center in Lapeer, and it was a brand new pregnancy center at the time. And I just was doing marketing, public relations, and advertising, and they decided they needed that skill set on their board. Right. But I didn't really see myself as a leader in any way, shape, or form. For me, at that point, to have said my name and leader in the same sentence really freaked me out. Right. But as time went on, and I served there for like four years on the board, they were uh, about to change. The, the board chair was leaving, and everybody kind of EF huttoned at me. To be the, and I'm like, what? Wait. Um, and I ended up being the board chair for the last two years, and I led them through a process of strategic planning, which after I finished my term, they did complete 
for the five years. But and I think that was the the start of God calling me into leadership, or at least trying to craft into me the idea of my name and leader in the same sentence was okay. <laughs> right. So. And was that your background? You because you were. A- you had a degree in marketing, right? Your undergrad? Um, my undergrad is in communication arts. So when, in this journey then, because um, you're going to this United Methodist Church, mm-hmm. when did you start to sense a call to ordained ministry? Well, after the Methodist Church, we started attending um, the Nazarene Church in Lapeer. Oh. Um, my new yeah. husband and myself, um, Craig, and I attended there. And it was during a sermon there, and I love to say this, but I don't remember what the sermon was about, <laughs> especially after you've been a pastor and preached and everything. Right. You know, it's always nice to remind yourself of that. Um, but I sense God say to me, are you ready to put down the list of things that you don't want to do for me? So I had a list going of I'll do anything for you, Lord Jesus, but, and then, you know, a little list. And on the list was get up and, and speak in front of people. That was on the list. And, uh, it's kind and of hard to preach without being. I know, I yeah. know. So <laughs> I did. I was pretty nervous about all of that. I didn't see that in myself necessarily. Not at first anyway. And um, I didn't, certainly didn't see pastor either at that right. point. I definitely didn't see that. That Sunday, I said, yes, I would put that list down and, you know, give it to Jesus and let Jesus hold it for me. And I pursued ministry. And I didn't really know what that meant. At first, I thought I was going to go deacon track in Christian education. And see, if I had been raised maybe in the Church of Nazarene, something I might have understood this. But I did, even from when I first accepted Jesus, I could envision myself in front of people speaking. I really could. And I did not know that was a call to preach. So I started the process initially as deacon for Christian education. Then, And then it hit me one day. Oh, that's what that is. Oh, my gosh. I've got to go elder track. So um, I'm sure I disturbed the processes, which, again, I'm also very consistent at doing that, too. Um, so I told them, no, I think I've got to go elder track. And there weren't a lot of women, um, doing that at the time. And I thought, well, this denomination has been ordaining women for a long time. But I noticed when I went to assemblies and stuff, I was like, Hey, where are all the women at? (laughs) You know? And I had no idea that what really had happened on some level was that I had been strapped on the fl- the front end of the snowplow or something. I mean, along the way, I came to see it that way um, and just went, wow, how did I get here? But um, I think it's chronically and consistently following God wherever God's have, placing your feet and being faithful and obedient wherever that is, even if it looks a little messy, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not this nice, beautiful, slow incline upwards. It's a little more jiggity-joggity and what's going on. Um, And I think along the way, I crabbed to God about that. I really did, Mm -hmm. chronically. And one day, I'll never forget, I was in the car, and I was just really pouring my heart out and saying, that's such a stinking mess of a journey. (laughs) And you know what God said to me? And there's very few times that I can recount those exact sentences. And this is one where God said to me, I have trained you to walk in the mess. 
And I thought, okay, you know, it was like, like the whole um, moment where you say, I put my hand over my mouth now and right. um, the Job moment. And I just said, okay. So anytime I complain about, you know, that word mess, that, that line always goes through <laughs> yeah. my head. So you started your journey, mm-hmm. and I had Dr. Jan Deuce on the podcast not too long ago. Oh, did you? Yep. So I, and I know that you and her, she was pretty influential in, uh-huh. in that process for you. Yeah. So you you did course of study through the Church of the Nazarene, right? I started out, and I took a couple of classes through the, the course of study. And then I had uh, Dr. Jan Deuce for one, and, you know, I'd written a couple of papers, and this kind of thing. And one day she came to me and just looked me square in the face and said, you know, if you're seminary capable, you should be going to seminary. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and you know how intense yeah, she can yeah, be. Yeah. And that's a good thing, you know, because that is part of what pushed me to even like, okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm a leader, but it's, I can be reluctant leader at, at times. And um, so I looked into it and thought, well, if I can find something that work is workable and doable. And that's where I went to Nazarene Theological Seminary on their uh, in-service program, they called it at the time. Right. So over five years, we, I went back and forth to Kansas City, which always says better things about my husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's a real, a true saint, you know, helping and, and just encouraging me to do that and enabling me to do that. But I did yeah. do that. Because you had three... You had you have three sons. Right? I do, and I do. so they were pretty young when you were doing that. Were they they high school? No, high? Kyle was eight, and so the next one up was eighteen, and then um, two years old, and that and twenty. So the older boys were pretty much, you know, heading out the door, and it was the younger one though. So right. from the time eight until he was thirteen, and that was I said to Jesus, that's really good timing, right before he was going to be a teenager, I was done. So then you got ordained. So now, right now, you are ordained in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church, but you're first ordained in the Nazarene Church. Yeah, technically, I was first ordained in the Nazarene Church, and I'm a transfer in. Transfer in. To the United Methodist uh, Church. I was recruited by them. So let's talk about your first assignment. Where was your first official assignment? As senior pastor, then? Yeah, as senior pastor. Okay, I served at Attica United Methodist Church, so I can say I did time at Attica. <laughs> so I served there half time. But you were there for a while. Five years. Five years. Mm-hmm. And they were struggling when you took when you took that church. Yeah, they, it said they had like low fifties of people, and and then you know like six months into it, you know we're down in the low thirties. And I'm like, whoa, look at Pastor Bryce. She's just rocking here. <laughs> um, but sometimes I think God has to clear out a foundation. I think that was part of my task there was to uh, create a healthy foundation there because yeah. there was a lot of kind of unusual things going on. They described it as that I walked into a hornet's nest. Yeah, that was where I kind of learned about how to get people do what, to do what you need them to do you know, people that, what people will do, what they won't do. Um, the whole people dynamic was what I think that was my real learning curve there. And along the way there is when I got encountered with, if you're really serving in the Methodist church, you ought to transfer your credentials. And so that led to more education, 
which, you know, I am the queen of overprepared, basically. <laughs> but I, even I questioned God about this and said, seriously, do we have to do this? Um, because I started looking at, to transfer my uh, orders in, I had to do 32 more graduate credit hours at oh. an approved, a Methodist approved school. And so I was looking at that and said, oh, fine, Lord, if you really want me to do this, you have to come up with something that is workable, doable, is going to ignite my passions, or just never mind, I just don't want to do it. And so I went to the Wesleyan Holiness Clergy Women's Association meeting one year, and a gal was speaking there, and she handed out her devotional, and that actually was her doctoral uh, project. Whoa. And I don't know, I sort of started looking at Ashland in Ohio, and that looked doable. I was almost like, rats, I found something. I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> so I went, and every time I went out there for a seminar, I really would whine at God and say, really? Do, is this really necessary? And um, every time, every single time, God was so good to just confirm that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. So I finished that while I was um, serving at Attica uh, United Methodist Church. And while I was there, they weren't doing any ministry there. And I led them towards um, doing a food bank. And I led them towards a community meal. Those things are still in operation today. So, and then while I was at Attica, I also oh, learned, yeah. um, I learned a lot about myself as a leader. I learned that I could be tougher than I thought I could when it came to the issue of leading people into what I felt was God's purposes. That, that I could be very tenacious about that piece. And I didn't see that myself before I... Because you needed that piece for what you did next. Right. So how did this... Because you, you basically did a restart, but it was a very unique project. So how did that come about, and then what, what was the project? When I, was, when I was at Ashland, what came back to me was, and I had been an approved and assessed church planner with the Church of the Nazarene. I had gone through that process. And when I went to Ashland, all of that just came bubbling back up. And I learned a lot about church revitalization, and I served in the Methodist Church for about six or seven years and still do, doing con consultations with teams and writing prescriptions for how a church can um, help them become revitalized again. And um, so that all came up, and church planting opportunity came up in that you had to take Church Planner Academy in the United Methodist Church. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do any more school. <laughs> but, but I felt like at the core of it, that was my identity. That was who I was. So I went through that academy process, and that's how I um, was asked then to do what they called a vital merger, where several congregations agree to leave their buildings, sell their buildings, worship in a neutral site, pool all their assets, with the goal then of becoming a missional community. And so you're working to change the culture and the mindset from something that might be inward focused to outward focused. Right. So I was uh, appointed to Downriver United Methodist Church in 2013 and worked that process uh, for about five years and 
We lived through trying to sell church buildings in a bad economy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I bought my building in that economy. I know, you did. <laughs> Got a you really, did. really good deal. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to sell all the buildings, um, pool the money. We worshipped in a school for about four years, which is highly, highly unusual for the United Methodist Klan folk for the most part, at least in, in this side of Michigan, it is. And uh, so we did that. We did find um, property on 10 acres in a 13,000 square foot building that was down to the studs and the wiring. And so we had to then do a renovation and a construction project, which meant a capital campaign, mm -hmm. finding funding sources, finding a contractor. I could go on and on. But it was a, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. It was... Um, but it was very, you could see it was going to yield something um, fruitful and productive for them. And today the, the congregations are still, the congregation is still there um, working on becoming uh, missional in its community. Uh, they're well positioned for wherever God takes them. They have property. They have a nice starter facility. I kept saying to them, now just think about it this way. This is your first step over here. And, you know, because you can't do everything, you have limited money, you have whatever. So, but we took them and we intentionally um, put them into a contemporary uh, worship setting, which some people liked and some didn't. And that's what we know we knew we needed to do when you are surrounded by at least another five or six congregations and very close driving uh, range that are doing traditional worship, the traditional United Methodist worship, then you have to do something different. So you took them, so you're there for five years, and you took them from a school into their own facility, yes. brand new facility, as from four congregations to one. Right. That's what it was. And then you handed it off not too long ago. Yep. yep. And I, I was, I'm really excited that the person who, who followed you was another female pastor because that's yes. very unusual. Yes. To have that happen. Yes. She was another trained church planter, and uh, she. I don't make the assignment or anything. They just go, here you go. And so, yes, they sent another woman in. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I had already broke them in from that. <laughs> so, so, and it worked. It did. There were, you know, on the board there, there were, you know, a GM executive and other people in industry that were used to having women in leadership. Right. So they were okay with it. There were some people, I think, that early on left because I was a woman, and I'm like, well, sorry, I can't fix that. I mean, I've complained to God about that, too. <laughs> but, you know, then I'm telling God that he created me incorrectly, and that's really not a place you want to stand. Yeah. Really, if you can help it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also partly a wimp, so with the, with those kinds of things where I think, okay, I think I better not cross this line. It's not a good idea. But you did some creative things for you there. I remember seeing little videos that you did to promote stuff and you tried some innovative things. I did. I did. I took a class <laughs> in um um for churches for online promotion and I I kind of played where's Waldo in the Down River area and I would go to different locations and I would ask them yeah, I want to shoot this video here. Is that okay? They were all 90 seconds or less. And there was a formula, although I never had a script, because it was almost funnier if, 
if they looked a little rough or a little whatever, that was better actually right. because people would you know kind of gravitate to them. So we got quite a few views, but the challenge was then along the way that you could tell Facebook changed their algorithm. That was kind of in the era of when video was really new and hot right. on Facebook, and that was very helpful for us. But then, like all things, you want to assess whether it's doing what you want it to do because it's a lot of creative energy to do that. Yeah. I mean it was a lot of fun. I will say that. I did I did have a lot of fun doing it. But you have to say, okay, is this helping us? Yes or no? And if it's not, then you stop. We try and do that once a year. We evaluate evaluate everything that we've done in the last year and say, what do we want to keep? What do we want to trash? What do we want to begin? Mhm. Mm and that's helped. Yeah. Keep, keep that fresh, especially as you're changing things we don't get too comfortable like there's that happy medium of comfortable enough but not too comfortable where then you don't want to try anything new or change anything right that whole don't want to change anything is like the death knell i mean right. if you're snuffing creativity out that's the work of the holy spirit is creation and creativity you decided to resign just talk about that i know part of it had to do with your husband Right. That was that was a part of it. He was driving 120 miles round trip a day along a very busy and under construction highway stretch. And he was about four years into doing that. In total, he did it five years. And his he's important in his job as well. And he's also was one of the best servants that I had because he would just wander around the church on Sunday morning and see where somebody didn't show up or there was a hole or he would run around and start talking to people that got there early. I mean, he really is an exceptional uh, servant. And uh, But I could see the toll that the drive was taking because I said, I, you can do the drive. I know you can do the drive, but it's the toll the drive is taking. And uh, and then the other part is, is all uh, church plants in the Methodist Church, you have a coach. And so you're talking to your coach once a month. And along the way, I was talking to mine, and she asked me, where do you, where do you see this after the building? Where, what's your vision for this church? And it was like the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I realized that I did not have the vision for that. Yeah. And I started considering and praying about whether someone else had that vision and that my job was to come in and be the change agent kind of thing. And so I stepped back, and I knew I didn't know what I was going to be doing next. Although I will say this, throughout most of my journey, this verse has been following me around, Isaiah 43, behold, I will do a new thing. Do you not see it? Right. I'm making springs come up in the desert. That's probably a bad paraphrase, but that's kind of the gist of it. And that verse started following me around. Even before I was called into ministry, I would just see it, and it would just go right through my heart. I mean, every time. And the last Sunday that I was at Down River, and, and we used that for our initial scriptural verse for the vital merger because oh, I just yeah. felt like it fit. Mm -hmm. It fit. Well, they had this huge uh, metal uh, piece created for me with that verse on it. And they brought this thing up and set it on the stage. I'm sure I had just an odd look on my face when I saw it. Because again, it just went right through me and I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, you're not done with me yet. Right. And along the way, um, I had connected with people and I had done a lot of that throughout the years. You connect and you can tell when the door is closed and it's closed 
more than it's right. open. But all of a sudden, the door opened um, at Ashland University and Ashland Seminary, specifically the, the seminary in the Detroit campus, for me to teach practical theology classes. And I had taught before. I taught the course of study. Okay. I had taught Nazarene Bible College Online. I had taught for Spring Arbor University. And I had done some training with all of that. And then this came up for me to start. Um, so I left in June, early June. And then I was geared to start teaching in the fall for Ashland Seminary, just as adjunct. I needed to slow down for a period of time. <laughs> I did nothing all summer. It took like a sabbatical summer and then still part-time teaching is still gives me time to kind of come up because it was pretty intense. So what's any big things you're toying with for the future? Possibly try this, try that. Yeah, I'm trying some things uh, online. Um, educational opportunities online you know I'm very passionate about what it means to be a disciple and why or why it is that we have people in our congregations that they've been to church for more than 20 years but if you ask them to articulate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus you know they kind of have to hesitate and think about it for a minute and that should be second nature to us all uh, that and uh, trying to help people understand what it means to follow Jesus who maybe aren't part of the church. So I want to look at online lifestyle community, maybe podcasts, maybe um, I've started doing a bit of blogging, but I'm going to get a little more um, organized and structured and intentional about that probably in 2019 and just see what happens. You know, the internet is a great leveler these days. You can uh, get a small following going and mm -hmm. Uh, try to pour into them as much as you can. And then I'm still going to be teaching at the seminary. And that's exciting because I feel like God uh, multiplied my influence. Because if I'm influencing people who are pastoring and leading right. in ministry, pouring into them, they're going to go back and influence their people. <laughs> no, I'm having a lot of fun at it, actually. I really am enjoying their... And I have lots of great stories to tell from... <laughs> all of it. Oh, and, yeah, from yeah, the journey. Yeah. From the journey, a lot of great um, stuff that I know and understand about revitalization and what churches need to be doing today and challenging them about to look at why they're doing what they're doing and yeah. is it really fitting in with God's purposes. My dissertation was about being surrendered to God's purposes and what that looks like and what that means, leading yourself and then leading others and so I'm having a lot of fun with that right now and enjoying a slower pace yeah. of life and um, just waiting to see what God does next and wanting to join God in that, to quote Blackaby, I guess. Yeah. So Ashland is, is Ashland affiliated with a denomination? Um, I never remember this correctly because it's brethren something. <laughs> Okay. I never remember this, but I have to tell you, every time I went down there, I felt like I had a very spiritual experience. The campus is just stunning. There's prayer gardens. There's, I mean, I can't say enough wonderful right. about that whole experience. And if anybody gets a chance to go to any seminars down there, they've always been just amazing. I can't say enough good about them. I'm excited to be, you know, a part of that, even right. the, I'm in the Detroit campus. There's a campus, I believe, in Cleveland and Cincinnati and then uh, Ashland, Ohio. For the Detroit campus, you're probably influencing people from 
multiple different denominations, right? Predominantly, um, they are Baptist. Okay. And predominantly, they are African American. Not totally. Um, so that brings with it a kind of a Pentecostal flavor. Right. So that's kind of interesting too. So I, I have had really good students, or at least they tolerate me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've been enjoying it. Every time I come home, I just I'm tired, but it's a good tired. So one of the things I like to include is advice that you would give for women pursuing the call. So either they're wrestling with the call right now and they're not sure if they're called or they've said yes to the call and they've kind of started that process. I would say some things that were told to me by Janine Metcalf oh. and uh, she told me it was a very prayerful journey so for women especially, you need to spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, I would add it's a very forgiving kind of journey where you have to just uh, hang on to your call and forgive those around you that don't either um, abide by women in ministry or they don't support you in ministry. And that's, that's not just trying not to undermine you, but actually supporting you in right. ministry. And because I've had um, several male minister people along the way that have helped my ministry and, and, and said, this person is, is good for ministry. I mean, uh, even in the Methodist church, the people that recruited me, um, all of that. So, you know, a lot of times you're dependent upon that. And for the people that just don't get it, you just have to forgive them and move on. Um, otherwise, you get angry and bitter. And it's not like I never took the trek around the angry, annoyed, and bitter route. I did. But at the end of the day, you know, you get tired of dragging that ball and chain around. That's just, it's heavy. It's a very heavy ball and chain. So you got to kind of let that go. And just try to be faithful and obedient every day. At the end of the day, say, was I faithful and obedient with everywhere God put my feet today? Yes or no? Right. Um, and if it's no, it's one good forgiveness, repentance kind of prayer, and you're good to go for the next day. Uh, and you just have to keep doing that over and over. I can be kind of type A and, you know, <laughs> little. <laughs> All right, a lot. Maybe, and, maybe it's just a church planet thing, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe it is, you know, and, and be a little intense. And that usually is just reflective of the passion that I feel about what I'm doing. But, but you just got to be faithful and obedient with the call. And the other thing I'll say, too, is that um, God can put your feet anywhere God wants to. And I, because I was sitting there giving all those excuses about, well, you know, the, these people don't that and these people, and so I'm just not going to, I don't know how this is going to work out, God. And, and, you know, we minimize God's power and influence. When we say those kinds of things, I mean, not really, but in our minds, we are limiting God. But I had... Um, my father-in-law had passed away and I helped with the funeral. I didn't want to do the funeral. I just wanted to be family. Right. And so my job was to get people to read some scripture and then give their testimony about him. And then when six weeks later, my uncle passed away, um, my aunt came to me and said, will you help with the funeral like you did with your father-in-laws? And I said, yeah, sure. Okay. So this was at a non-denominational church that is, has nothing and no ways about any women in ministry know-how. 
and I knew the pastor there from when I was in the um, pregnancy center years. I mean, he knew about me. He knew me. I had a marketing and PR and advertising company before I went into ministry in town. He knew me from that and, and all that. So I get there that Sunday and I'm going to just help people share about, you know, Uncle Bob. And the pastor came up to me and he goes, okay, now we're going to bring the casket in and you're going to process in with us. And I said, really? Okay. He says, and then you're going to sit up front on the platform and, and, you know, then at a certain time you're going to read scripture and do your thing and, and all that. So I said, okay. And I looked at the bulletin thing that they had there and I saw my name was listed as Reverend Margie Bryce. And I was like, whoa, I bet the board isn't going to like that here. So then I processed in with them and I sat up front on the platform and then I stood up and I read scripture. But right before I read scripture, I thought, truly, Lord, you can put my feet anywhere you please. Can you not? <laughs> um, and there's been a lot of times when I haven't really had the faith to see that because of the obstacles that women have. And let me also say, too, that even the guys, every single one of the guys have something that they have to work through and work to get past. It may not be the fact that they're female, but there's something that they have. And so we have to remember that as well, that it's not just us and, you know, carry that chip on your shoulder or whatever. And, and I've done some of that too. Um, so I'm, I'm talking um, on the other end of some things about it uh, where God has just really convinced me of a better thing. <laughs> Let's say that. We all have to carry our cross. Yes. We do. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't have some kind of a cross, then we wouldn't realize how much we needed Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Really good advice. Oh, Someone's going to hear that and be like, you know what? I need to hear that today. And you know what? That's redemption of any and all my crankiness <laughs> along the way. And I love that. I love that Jesus will do that, that he will redeem even that and make it be good for somebody. <laughs> <laughs>